Many Windows, Conversations on Ministry. I'm your podcast host, the Reverend Julie Taylor, and I'm coming to you from Meadville Lombard Theological School in Chicago. Thanks for joining me for Season 1, Episode 2 of Many Windows. In this episode, I have the honor of speaking with the Reverend Dr. Jennifer Kwong, Ministerial Credentialing Director for the Unitarian Universalist Association. We're going to be talking about the beginning stages of how to become a Unitarian Universalist minister. It's so great to have you here <laughs> virtually, uh, Jennifer. Thank you for joining. And what we're going to talk about today are, is the initial uh, the initial stages of the credentialing process for fellowship within the Unitarian Universalist Association. So welcome. Thank you, Julie. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. It's great to have you. Uh, so, and and you're in Southern California. I am. Probably, probably a little warmer than where I'm sitting right now. Just I as bad, although it's been cold lately. Um, but today it's supposed to be 77 degrees is the high. So I'm good really grateful to live in a place where there's good weather. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So uh, let's just jump right in. So as the ministerial credentialing director, uh, you kind of, you, you get the, the big uh, vision, the big concepts of what's going on with the process for credentialing within the UUA. So just let, let's jump in. What are the things that folks need to know as they're beginning this process? Yeah, thank you. I do indeed have the big picture. And on a granular level, I would hope to be a discernment partner with folks going through this process. And the initial stage of that is having an inkling of, hmm, you know, I've served as worship associate for a number of years now in my local congregation, and I really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And I've really gotten a lot of positive feedback from other members of the congregation after I preach a sermon, for example. Mm-hmm. Is there something going on there? Or um, I just got back from the hospital where I was um, providing some caregiving work, and um, the chaplain who came in um, told me that, am I there to take over their job? <laughs> um, so that kind of made me start thinking about the, the kind of pastoral care I've been providing people already. So mm-hmm. maybe there's an inkling there of I'm being called to become a chaplain. Hmm. So the first place I usually ask people to take a look at is our website on the UUA.org uh, website. There's a preparatory stages for how to become a minister. And that website has videos. So I filmed a video with the Reverend Adam Dyer on what the credentialing process looks like in finer detail. And I got his take on what it was like for him and each of the pieces, the major pieces of the credentialing process and what that was like. And we also have a Google slide that actually in graphical format um, also uh, goes through each of the steps of the credentialing process. Um, And we have the requirements manual itself, which in, in, you know, in, in, in most cases I call the Bible (laughs) as uh, folks are going through um, this process of credentialing. And I want to make sure that you all know the difference between credentialing and ordination. So we at the UUA don't have any control over ordination because we do have congregationalist polity. So at the end Mm -hmm. of the day, 
it's the congregation that gets to ordain folks. But we do have um, uh, quite a bit of uh, say in terms of how the credentialing process works, which culminates in folks seeing the ministerial fellowship committee. So they're the body that has been tasked with um, the and empowered with making the decision of finding out and determining whether there is a Unitarian Universalist minister in the room or not. So mm -hmm. that is the end goal. Nice. So I have to go through the initial process of how after someone figures out that they are interested in this process would um, apply to become a UU minister. Yeah, absolutely. I want to hit that. And I also want to mention here before we get too much further is the websites that you mentioned, the video uh, with Reverend Dyer, the um, the uh, Bible, <laughs> right? Yeah, all of those, which really, that's really important. That's been a big uh, technological shift is that that is a lot of these, most of the forms and most of the documents are now on a, on a, on a Google Drive. So they are continually updated. So as long as you're always going onto the website, so, so being able to um, bookmark that website is gonna be really key because that is the place to go back to, to always make sure that you've got the most current documents. You make sure you go back into that website, hit it and whatever, whatever you download or whatever you look at on the screen is gonna be the most updated. And that's a great technological advance that has happened just in the last, year or so. So I really, uh, I'm really grateful for that myself, because I was always having to look, okay, it's August, did they update it? Oh, no, it's just September, but it's still <laughs> looking like it's last year. So let's, this is a great piece. And I will make sure that those links are going to be in uh, the notes so that folks can just link directly to it right from uh, however you're experiencing this conversation. So yeah, with that, thank you, please. Let's uh, find out how do you begin this journey? Yeah, so the first part of the journey begins with filling out the initial inquiry form. And this is just to help us get to know you better, what identities you hold, for example, and where you are in the seminary process. And um, it, it just alerts us that you are interested in exploring this further. However, um, a new development that you may need to be aware of is that this is also when the clock starts ticking. Mm. Um, at this point, you have seven years mm -hmm. until you see the Ministerial Fellowship Committee or the MFC. And however, it takes you a little bit longer mm -hmm. to develop your identity or to go through certain aspects of the process. You could always ask for an extension. And that clock starts when you when it when the initial inquiry form is received. That's when the clock starts for the seven right. years. So when you hit the submit button on the <laughs> form. So this is the other new development, right? Like most of our forms now are also digitized. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, like you were mentioning before, um, uh, it used to be that we would update it once a year. Mm -hmm. But these days things are moving very rapidly, especially as we're trying to implement the recommendations from the Commission on Institutional Change in their yeah. report called Widening the Circle of Concern, um, where we're trying to be responsive and um, implement some of these changes quickly. So, um, you know, I, I joke around, this is why God invented Google, the Google Suites, right? Is to make us as agile as possible. And this is also in alignment with what James Luther Adams said, which is, Revelation is not sealed. Yeah. 
And therefore, our documents are not sealed either, not set in stone or not um, in PDF format, but rather <laughs> a more agile kind of format. Well, let me ask you real so, quick then, just, just uh, once, so once, a, once a, uh, an individual hits submit and they're, they have that uh, applicant uh, or the initial inquiry form in, does that then, uh, will then they be part of the, uh, on, on basically your mailing list so that they're getting updated regularly be, with all the changes? Because I know you send out regular emails about once a month. Uh, well, they'll be they'll be receiving those right away then with all these new changes. Not yet. Okay, good. Actually, when does that happen? It gets triggered with the next part of the process. So Perfect. at that point, after they fill out the initial inquiry form, they become an applicant. And that, so that's the designation we give folks in the formation process. And after you, uh, an applicant fills out an interview form with a minister, after they show us acceptance to a theological school such as yours, and after um, they sign the candidacy form saying that they are willing to abide by the rules and policies of the MFC, um, after they go through a criminal uh, background check, after they get a congregational sponsorship, and if they're a transfer or plural affiliation um, uh, person, individual, mm -hmm. um, then they have to fill out that form too. So there's about five or six more documents that we mm -hmm. need to receive before they could actually um, become an aspirant. And being an aspirant is an actual status and again, it shows us a certain level of seriousness around engaging in this process. So that's when we automatically sign you up to receive our newsletter. Okay, good. And that's when um, you would be able to join the UUMA, mm -hmm. the UU Ministers Association, which then you get automatically signed up to join the Ministerial Formation Network or the MFN. Mm -hmm. I won't go into too much details about that because I know the Reverend Melissa Carvel Zemer already yeah. talked about that with you. So I'll let them yeah. watch that episode or listen to that podcast. Yeah. And we'll be doing more on that because these are, these are all the acronyms can start feeling very dis disorienting if you're not used to working in the acronym world. So we'll, we'll have more on all of those pieces. So at this point, applicant or aspirant status is after you fill out the inquiry form, then you're an applicant, and then there's additional documentation. All of this is outlined on the website, and it's also as part of uh, uh, the process uh, booklet, the, the reference material. So once you get all those documents in, then, uh, and, and they're emailed in, is that how they're, is that how forms are happening right they now? They are at this point, we're working on a document management system that would, um, you know, but that's another maybe half a year out. Oh, okay. Um, okay. So we're still beta testing it. But yes, gotcha. they would all be emailed to our administrator. Her name is uh, Mary Kirkbaum, and her email address is mco at uua.org. And like you mentioned, the requirements manual um, goes through all of that. So yeah. for the next few months or maybe even years, Mary will be your BFF. <laughs> um, so you can ask her if she's received, you know, X, Y, and Z, and she'll be more than happy to let you know and answer any questions you may have about each of these elements that are required to achieve aspirant status. Great. Okay. So aspirant status. Uh, so any pieces around those forms? Like I know I get, I get questions sometimes from students, 
who can, how do I get a congregational sponsor? How does that happen? Is that my home congregation? Should I wait until I'm an intern? Wait, how, how does that, can you talk a little bit about that congregational sponsorship? Sure. And this is, uh, the, you know, there's a Q&A um, in the requirements manual as well, um, okay. not just for folks going through this process, but also for the congregation itself. Like, what would it require of us if we sponsored someone, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, you can find all that out in the requirements manual, but yeah, you could actually use your home congregation as your sponsor. And typically we're looking for a commitment of at least two years in a, um, uh, particular UU congregation because, mm -hmm. you know, believe it or not, we have some people out there who just, take a belief-o-matic quiz and boom, it shows that they're 100% UU. They <laughs> haven't even researched what we are all about, but um, you know, they, they contact our office and we typically steer them more towards a local congregation and say, get your, um, get your bearings or go a little deeper with one particular mm -hmm. congregation before you make a commitment. Cause yeah. this is a huge commitment, right? And what you see in writing in terms of our seven principles and hopefully since we eight and um, our sources um, when lived out actually forms its own culture. So we wanna make sure that you're aware of what that culture looks like. Mm -hmm. And each congregational culture also varies, right? Mm -hmm. My predecessor, the Reverend David Petit used to say that you've been to one UU congregation, you've been to one UU congregation. No two UU congregations are made exactly like we don't have a book of common prayer. We don't have a worship manual, you know, like, you know, every congregation is different, not to mention size and everything. So, right. you, you know, you mentioned internship and that is further down the road, but generally speaking, or actually it is in the rules, you cannot do your internship in your home congregation. That's right. Because again, we want your experience to be as varied and well-rounded as possible mm -hmm. as you're going through this formation process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and that's a big piece of it, right, is that there is a formation and really a transformation from a layperson to minister. Yeah, that's not absolutely. that's not just the title that, you know, you graduate with an MDiv doesn't put reverend before your name. That's not how this works. Yeah. You may have MDiv after, but there's actually a formation of a minister and a transformation of who we were into who this new um, uh, entity, this vocation is calling us to. Uh, yeah. And there's, there's pieces involved and that's part of what this process of, of that the MFC uh, is, is responsible for, the process that takes a number of years to uh, achieve. That's not just an academic one where, you know, you're signing up and yes, I, I passed this or I did this. Mm the internal piece around formation is so key. And, um, you know, even, even how those interactions, I'm sure, you know, go uh, with, with staff, how it's not just about paperwork. There's always layers in, in and part of that paperwork um, that's really important. Yeah, I mean, the analogy I use often is it's like the British baking show and the technical challenge aspect of it, right? Okay. So there's the checking off the boxes, like you're saying, which could mm -hmm. be um, sort of like an academic exercise, like you're saying, of mm -hmm. what are the ingredients that I've been left with? Mm -hmm. and what's the recipe look like? 
all the bakers are given the same instructions and the same ingredients for that particular challenge, right? Mm -hmm. But the critical component that we're missing is the discernment piece and what you bring because of your own life experience and because of your own pathway and your own vocational um, uh, choices, right? That are in front of you. That's what we describe as that extra added element of the discernment piece. Yeah. And, you know, for some people, that's when they come to a realization, yeah, maybe I am called to become a baker, but they could also lead to another path of saying, yeah, I'm getting kicked off the tent. So maybe that tells me something right there as well, right? And even for those who are called to become a minister, um, it's not a once and for all kind of thing. It's not like right after you see the MFC, boom, that's it. You stop learning, you stop mm -hmm. growing, you know, you stop transforming. It right, continues right. because we're always going to be a learning community together. Yeah. And so the learning never stops, which is why we call this a learning ministry and not a learned um, kind of ministry, right? Yeah. So we don't all of a sudden become the expert in the room just because we went to seminary and just because the MSC gave us a stamp of approval. I mean, and, and that's another, that, that'll be another conversation that we, we can and will have in the future and we'll, we'll do it this way too, uh, to record it as well, because that's really important about how this is the beginning, but this is not the end, even of our own formation as ministers. Absolutely. I just, you know, right. this, this last summer, I hit my 20th anniversary is in ordained ministry and I am continually evolving and shifting and changing and learning and forming because I mean I also I'm a big into process theology too so the fact is is that everything is always changing and affecting and how am I going to adapt the idea that um the, that ministry uh ends at your call as though, well, I'm a minister. I got called to ministry. I'm a minister. Boom. That's definitely not how we do things within the Unitarian Universalist, uh, uh, not just association, but as a as a faith, which goes beyond the the organization itself. That faith. This is a, a continued, you know, uh, uh, revelation is not sealed. There's there's there is more, and there's always more to come. And this process, though, I think is important. And as part of, and we're, we'll talk about more in other, in other segments about other pieces of this process, this discernment process is also how we react and respond within the discernment process is also information about ourselves to learn, I think, um, how ministry, how we will be in ministry, how we are in ministry. Um, yeah. Exactly. So it, it's a profound experience. That's again not just about. I love that British baking show analogy. That may not everybody may not know what it is, but if you don't, it's worth uh, checking out. <laughs> <laughs> I agree, and I usually tell people, don't worry about the um, the showstopper because that's not what we're looking for. We're not looking for perfection. Right. We're just looking to see if you possess the basic competencies. Yeah. And so that's the other thing I want to emphasize is that we have the seven key competency areas. Mm -hmm. And if you think that's a lot, when I went through this process, there were 19. I don't know if you went through that as well, Julie, but I did. Um, we already narrowed it down to seven. 
but we want to make sure that um, you possess enough skills and, and competencies that you won't cause harm when we release you out in the world, right? right. That, um, you know, again, to use the British baking show analogy, that uh, we wouldn't need our stomachs pumped because it's <laughs> underweight or it's raw or, right. um, you know, that somehow it's inedible, right? And it's going to cause food poisoning. We don't want that to happen. And we don't want soggy bottoms, right? <laughs> so there is a certain standard, if you will, of what we're looking for, but it's basic competency. We're not looking for perfectionism because we know that perfectionism is a manifestation of white supremacy culture. So that's yeah. not what we're after, yep. but we, we do have standards as well. And yeah. you know, we do recognize folks as ministers more than the Universal Life Church, if you just fill out an application and pay your dues and boom, you become a quote unquote minister, right? Yes, yes. Oh, let's let's have another conversation about that one day. <laughs> <laughs> I have some opinions about that. <laughs> All so. right. Well, thank you. Is there anything else uh, before before we close of, of uh, a nugget or any anything real important that you'd want to make sure, at least for this first conversation, as folks are beginning to to learn what the process is, anything you want to leave them with? Yeah. So I just want them to start becoming aware or I just want you all, you all listening to become more aware that there are going to be other uh, elements and pieces that need to be put together in order to become a candidate, right? Like mm -hmm. a career assessment and an internship, a, a unit of clinical pastoral education or CPE. Um, and, you know, as you get more and more of your seminary experience um, behind you, uh, you're going to want to start thinking about all these other things. If you have any unique uh, part of your process that may require a waiver request, yeah. I would ask you to contact me because there are certain elements I can approve, but there are um, uh, other elements or types of waiver requests that the candidacy working group of the MSC needs to approve. And since yeah. they only meet three times a year, timing could be an issue. Yes. So I would... Um, if I were you, I would contact me as soon as possible yes. to talk over these issues and I could send you the form. And that's one of the reasons why we don't put the form out on our website because I feel like it does require a one-on-one -on -one conversation. And by the way, these days I try to set up a one-on-one -on -one as soon as you become an aspirant. That's so great. that we familiarize ourselves with each other and, um, and we opened the door to the Ministerial Credentialing Office because mm -hmm. we're really here to support you in your formation process. So that's, that's all I want you to know is don't hesitate to contact us. And a general rule of thumb is it's better to ask for permission than forgiveness. Yes, <laughs> that is right? true. So that old saying does not hold true with the MSC of ask for forgiveness um, now and, and, and uh, or, um, you know, rather than ask for permission, ask for forgiveness. But we we want to encourage you as soon as possible to yeah. ask for permission first. Yeah. And the other thing I want to I want to foot stop this a little bit and mention this as well. It's for 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 folks that are listening. You're beginning of this process, or towards the beginning of this process in general. 
get to know the folks, you will get to know the folks, you should be getting to know the folks that are in the ministerial credentialing office. And we'll do some more uh, uh, podcasts and connections with, with other folks there. But this is not... Um, this is not some distant far group that is, they're here to work with you, to help you. Please get in contact with them. And I, I've been working with students for 13 years now. And it, I'll tell you for all these years, just working with students, it has always, always, always been my experience. And not. And I could even go back to when I was going through the process. This was my experience as, as an aspirant candidate, but, but with the students, always get in touch with them before you think there's going to be a problem. Hoping yeah. that that problem will somehow disappear has, I've never seen it work that way. I've never witnessed that. So uh, I, I really want to lift this up too. Uh, get to know them, get in contact, questions that come up, not just if it's about uh, an exception to policy, but just questions. I'm not quite sure about that. There's, that's what the folks in this office are here for. And they're phenomenal. They're phenomenal. So Thank, Thank you so much for your time. We've enjoyed working with you as well. And that's the yeah. other thing is we want to create a win-win situation so that yeah. everything is working in tandem and parallel to each yeah. other. We don't want you to reinvent the wheel in terms of, well, Meadville is requiring these and the MSC is requiring these. I wanted you to all know that Julie and I are in constant conversation with each other so that yeah. we create as little confusion for you all as possible. Yeah, yeah. And there are some things that are always going to be different because they're two different institutions that have different requirements right. that are doing right. different things. However, right. on the places that we worry, we try to also be aware of when the, where when things have to be different and when they are oh, this is the way this is streamlined and this is the way you can do two things with once with this. And we're constantly working on that. Thank you for lifting that up as well. And, uh, and it's a joy. So thank you. It is. Thank you, Julie. Thank you for listening. This has been Many Windows, Conversations on Ministry with host Reverend Julie Taylor. Theme music is titled Destination by the artist Just Thea. Many Windows is a production of Meadville Lombard Theological School, produced by Julie Taylor with a special shout out to Tomo Hilbo.